Welcome to another episode of Behind the Blazer. In this episode, our host Scott Sempier sits down with Philadelphia Sinfonia's music director and conductor, Gary White. Maestro White talks about the history of the program, Philadelphia Sinfonia's culture, and their collaboration with both the Philadelphia Boys Choir and the Philadelphia Girls Choir. Enjoy! Blazers, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We've been singing in Philadelphia and all around the globe for over 50 years. As America's ambassadors of song, we have had many fantastic experiences, traveling to many different countries and meeting amazingly talented and wonderful people. The great leadership and high standards of the choir have allowed us to have these opportunities. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, is designed to introduce you to the Philadelphia Boys Choir culture. Season two, in particular, highlights some of the many partners we have had in the Philadelphia region who have joined us to help create even more excellent music. Philadelphia Symphonia Association is one of the premier youth orchestra organizations in the tri-state area. Since 1997, they've been teaching young musicians to discover their full artistic potential. The students range in age from 11 to 23 and have exceptional musical ability. Many go on to study at prestigious universities and conservatories such as Harvard and Princeton Universities, the Curtis Institute of Music, and the Juilliard School. With that said, I am pleased to be here face-to-face with Gary White, music director and conductor of the Philadelphia Symphonia. Welcome to Behind the Blazer, Gary. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. So first off, I want to start out with the beginnings of the Symphonia. I understand it was established in 1997, and you came two years later in 1999. That's Yes, I actually had some students in the orchestra, and they were playing at the Plymouth Meeting Mall, of all places, in the western suburbs in this loud echoey courtyard and the students said oh gary you should come and hear the orchestra they might be looking for a conductor so that was my first exposure to philadelphia symphonia in the middle of a mall and they (laughs) sounded amazing and then it just all worked out and i wound up uh, becoming their conductor a year later that's really great. It's, you don't normally think of going to hear an orchestra in a mall and being no. uh, taken by that. No, it, it's sort of like one of those moments where the orchestra does sort of those pop-ups where one person starts to play and then other people start to play. I've seen a lot of that happen in malls, but I've never seen a full symphony orchestra playing Dvorak in the middle of a mall like <laughs> I did that day. Obviously, it left a, a very good impression So you've been here since almost the beginning, very close to it. How have you led Philadelphia Symphonia through those early stages from year three and onward? How did you craft what you've crafted today? Well, I like to think that we created an, an approach. And the approach is really in our catchphrase, educating musicians, creating artists. And that really describes the process that we use. We really go into great depth about the music. So it's not just about getting the notes, but for us and, well, as you know, being part of the Boys Choir, because they do the same thing, it's about teaching them advanced musicianship, 
being able to take a piece, understand its architecture, understand where they are in the piece, how they're important, how their part is important to the piece, and then how it all fits together. And I like to describe the orchestra as a community, and we like to instill community values. It's not just about being first chair. The back of the section is every bit as important as the front of the section. If the back of the section isn't strong and playing just as well, then the whole orchestra doesn't sound good. So we really work to teach the students that everyone is important, everyone needs to contribute equally, and everyone really needs to understand how their part fits into the whole. And then the other part of that is we really like to apply that to being good citizens of Philadelphia and the world. So there's a civic component as well. Okay. We just recently did a fundraiser to raise money for World Kitchen for the Ukrainian refugees. We've done benefits for the earthquake victims of Kobe, Japan. I mean, all, all different kinds of things just to say that the orchestra is a musical community and we should also look outside our own community and give back to the world at large, both through our music and through our actions. After this interview, Gary White told me that not only does Philadelphia Sinfonia tour the world, but their stay in Russia from a few years ago raised the group's awareness of the separation of the Russian people from their government. Not all Russians are like Putin or align with his ideologies. There are many good, nice people there. Let's not forget that even though they are ruled by their governments, as we all are, they do not always agree with their leaders. And now back to the interview with Gary White. That's really great. I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm thinking also about what you said just a, a moment ago about how everybody has a role and every role is important. I've definitely come to appreciate that musicians are part of a team, but even more than that, I'm getting the idea that it's not just an organization for you. It's an organism where everybody really is part of the lifeblood of the Philadelphia Symphonia. That's very true. And I was reflecting on that as we enter our, our 25th year, or actually as we're coming to the close of our 25th anniversary, mm -hmm. I was thinking about this final concert and the culmination of the work that all of our students have done from that very first year to now, and how that organism, as you described it, mm -hmm. has grown and changed and matured into a really fine orchestral program. And we really couldn't have done that without each and every one of the students who come through Philadelphia Symphonia and the staff and the administration as well. So considering the different students who have come through, obviously you have certain number of a certain number of each instrument, is that correct? Yes. What happens if someone wants to audition and your your seats are full? Is can you explain that? It can be a tough situation, I have to be honest with you. There's only four flutes in an orchestra. And so if you are an advanced flute player, it becomes very competitive. What we did was we created a second level orchestra, an intermediate orchestra. Okay. And that allowed us to take more wins and more instruments into the sections where we're very limited. 
You can always take almost any number of strings. Okay. Um, it just always seems to work out that the orchestra, the advanced orchestra is about 100. And the string numbers generally work out. But it, it can be very tough with the winds where there's a very select number. So we have Philadelphia Sinfonia, which is our top orchestra. Mm-hmm. Then we have Philadelphia Sinfonia Players, which is our next level orchestra. And that often allows us to be able to offer the winds that don't quite make it into the advanced orchestra a spot in our advanced intermediate orchestra. Okay. And we run both orchestras the same. Both orchestras play only original music. Both orchestras have sectionals, do solo work with Philadelphia Orchestra members and top Philadelphia musicians, freelancers. Both orchestras are given a lot of very, very high-level opportunities. Well, when you say they both play only original music, can you tell us what that means? Yes. All I mean by that is that each orchestra plays what the composer they're playing wrote, not what's called an educational arrangement or transcription that might be simplified. There's nothing wrong with those, but a student at Philadelphia Sinfonia will expect that they're going to be playing more difficult music, much more advanced music. So for many of these students, especially in Philadelphia Symphonia Players, our advanced intermediate orchestra, this is the first time that they'll be playing an original, non-educational edition of a Beethoven symphony. And that's really hard. You can't just sort of sit down and play that for the first time and not become overwhelmed at all that's on the page. And so we teach them very carefully how to be able to play that music effectively. And that's why we consider ourselves an advanced orchestral program. Excellent. Well, the demographics of Philadelphia and Symphonia are students in Philadelphia from ages 11 through college. Mm-hmm. So you have up to 22 years old, is that right? Yeah, as long as they're still in school, we actually will go to 23. And obviously those college students are mostly in the advanced orchestra. Okay. It's really quite wonderful for the high school students who are advanced to be playing with the college students, many who go to Temple or to the music conservatories in the area. Mm -hmm. And so the high school students in a way, can be mentored by those college students, and they can see, if they want to be music majors, where that track will lead for them. Okay. And do you have an intentional mentorship program, or is it more of a natural flow between the members of your symphonia? It's both, I would say. It started out as a very natural flow, and then I started to see what was happening, and then we started very deliberately having mentor opportunities for our advanced orchestra members in Philadelphia Symphonia for the advanced intermediate orchestra Philadelphia Symphonia players. So we do, uh, typically, we do side-by-side events with both orchestras and we'll have on one stand, we'll have Philadelphia Symphonia player and then a Philadelphia Symphonia players player (laughs) so we'll we'll mix the orchestras up and it's really amazing we create this huge orchestra and we have about 200 members in the program and so we have this gigantic orchestra 
the students all talk about that as being one of the highlights of the year when they get together. And occasionally, we've even done a concert where we've been able to do that. It's rare because there are few stages that can hold that many instrumentalists. Sure, but sure. We, uh, the last time we did a Tchaikovsky 1812 Overture, we did it with both orchestras combined, and it was really spectacular. <laughs> and where was that? That was at the Kimmel. It could only be at the Kimmel. It's okay. the only place that can really hold that number. Sure. You ever think about having almost dueling orchestras like the dueling banjos, or is that not really? <laughs> You'd have to find the right piece, but uh, <laughs> it's fun. And what we try and do is, in the healthiest way, create a supportive atmosphere. And yes, we acknowledge that in music there is competitiveness, and you know everybody wants to be concertmaster. Many people want to be concertmaster, and there can only be one or maybe two if we do co-concertmaster. But what we try and do is to give the students a healthy attitude towards competition and really work to get them to understand that even if they're not first chair, they're still vitally important. Mm -hmm. And have you come across issues in the past? I presume you have just because of, as you said, the nature of the competitiveness. What do you do when you see that, you know, one person is a bit sulky or maybe, you know, despondent about where they stand? It's a good question. I have to tell you, honestly, from day one, we try and set up an atmosphere of what it is to be an orchestral community and the orchestra will only be as good as, well, they say as its weakest player, but I think as everyone's attitude allows it mm. to be. Yeah. And so if... I'm very clear that if you're going to sulk about where you're seated, and we actually do talk about this. We talk about seatings and why they're important and how different parts of the orchestra, maybe that are further back, that's actually more of a challenge to play. And I need strong players back there because it's really tough to play in the back of a string section. But we try and set up from the get-go an understanding of what it is to be in a successful orchestral community. And as a result... We don't have a lot of sulking about seating. Of course, it's come up, but we're able to have a mature and healthy conversation with a student and work through it. That's great. I think it really does. It starts with that atmosphere that you set. And, you know, anyone obviously coming in at this point is coming into that culture that you've created. That's the best way to put it. It's the institutional culture that, that we've worked very hard to cultivate. And I would say that that is something that I certainly began when I started. And it may well have been here the two years previous. Right. But that was one of my main goals. And that comes from my teachers and my mentors who really had the same outlook on music. I mean, we should enjoy it. We should love it. It should be a great thrill. And when it becomes too much about competition and too much about going after the person in front of you so that you can have their seat, mm -hmm. it, that takes the joy out of it. And then as a result, just very selfishly speaking as a conductor, that weakens the orchestra. So I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that for the students who, who I want to enjoy music for the rest of their lives, whether they're going to pursue it as a career or go to concerts for the rest of their lives. Right. I just want them to love it and, and have a good memory of it. That's excellent. Definitely uh, something that 
it sounds like your role models of your past have influenced you and now is creating a role model out of you. I mean, as you have been uh, turned into a role model. I That's what I hope. I hope that I can pass on their ideals. It's very, very important to me. So considering that, twofold question, who were your role models growing up and which instrument did you start with? My role models were my conducting teacher, Luis Spiava, who was the principal second violin of the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Philadelphia Orchestra's conductor in residence. He was really an amazing man, very much expressing all those ideals that I just said. And if I can just do a fraction of what he did, I would be happy because he influenced, you know, several generations of musicians. And I started out as a horn player, French horn player. Actually, I started out on trumpet and there were too many and I wanted to be alone. (laughs) So speaking of competitive, that was how I went. I decided that nobody was playing the horn, so I would. And I really took to it. It was a good move. You have to have a pretty good ear to play the horn. And this wasn't anything that I worked on. It was just I lucked out and naturally had a good ear so I could get the right pitches. And I became quite serious on the instrument. And then I studied with Randy Gardner of the Philadelphia Orchestra. He was the second horn player in the Philadelphia Orchestra. And He also really exemplifies all these ideals. He had a profound influence on my life and the direction that I took. And I went to the New School of Music, which at the time was not part of Temple University. It was its own institution here in Philadelphia. And he was my teacher through undergrad. And then eventually the New School merged with Temple. And I did my master's up there. And sadly, I injured my lip. And I had just been called to sub with the Philadelphia Orchestra for a concert series. And I I was doing a lot of freelancing and I unfortunately injured my lip. But as a result, that led to conducting because I couldn't play for a while. Okay. And I wanted to do something. And so I started to, you know, get very serious about conducting. And Luis Piava was very, very kind to me. And he said, all right, I'll work with you and gave me lessons. And then that's how I got into this. This music clip shows you what the Philadelphia Sinfonia sounds like without vocalists. Take it in. that Gary White conducted himself and the Philadelphia Symphonia very well. And now I behind the blazer interview with Philadelphia Symphonia's Gary White. So, so you didn't start conducting until your master's program. I was always interested in conducting and in high school I conducted, but I wouldn't say that I had the level of sophistication or that I really knew what I was doing. In a way, it was good because 
I was doing things that if I knew how hard they were, I would have been terrified, but I had no idea. No, it was really during my master's work that I really seriously learned how you study scores, how you build a whole symphony from the first movement to the last movement, how you cue, you learn how to rehearse. I mean, all, just there's so many different things, yeah. And all that seriously happened in my master's. Wow. And now you're in charge of a variety of instruments and children. And technically, they're children, but they're phenomenal musicians at the same time. Is it difficult to teach on different instruments that maybe you're not as aware of? Or how did you become proficient at that? That's a great question. I would not say that I am proficient on every instrument, but I have gone through every instrument and learned to play it in the privacy of my own home. <laughs> that doesn't mean I would play it in front of you or, okay. or our audience. So for many years, I took violin lessons, and that was the big thing because, of course, an orchestra is mostly strings. So for many years, I seriously studied violin. I actually did learn to play that, and I played that in high school. I started in high school, so I started quite late. And then I had all my friends seemed to be string players, so I was always playing duets with them, and they were always helping me and that kind of thing. And then I started taking lessons so that I learned about bowings and I learned about the fingerings and all that. And luckily, as a brass player, when you play the horn, you have a basic knowledge of trumpet. And of course, I started on trumpet, so those instruments I feel comfortable with. I also worked on trombone and tuba a little bit. And then, actually, just recently, I started playing uh, Baroque flute. And I have to say, while I did go through all the wind instruments with different teachers, actually really seriously playing the Baroque flute has really opened my eyes to wind playing this late in my career. And it's really, really been helpful. And a little bit of percussion, and I think that one of the toughest instruments is harp. Oh, yeah, I there's, expect so. Yeah, there's, there's just a lot you have to know, and especially if you're orchestrating something and you write, try and write a harp part, you don't know anything about the harp. It's very easy to get that wrong. <laughs> so. Right. So is that one of your talents as well, is orchestrating? I have done a lot of orchestrating. I do enjoy it, and especially because we've got two great orchestras here, I know their strengths and weaknesses, and I can really write to what they need. I'm not so much a composer. We have many students here who are really into composition, wow. and I love helping them with the orchestration when they show me a sketch and that kind of thing of what they're thinking about doing. So we do have that component as well here. That's phenomenal. I, you know, it seems like it's such advanced learning for for kids, you know, from middle school to high school and then into college, just that they're able to do that and think on those terms and be so creative like that. It all feeds into the total musician and allowing them to see the bigger picture so that they're not just playing their part and leaving the rehearsal and saying, okay, I got my part. Right. It's really important to me and to our other conductor, Danielle Garrett, who conducts Philadelphia Symphonia Players, uh, and who was also an original member of Philadelphia Symphonia when it first started. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's wonderful that she has now become one of the conductors. It's very important to us that the students really understand, appreciate, see, know how to contribute to the bigger, full picture. Right. So I think you just enjoy it more when you can do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Become more a part of who they are and they feel like they're contributing more to their yes. culture too. Yeah. 
So how do you recruit for the organization? I mean, it seems like you have a full orchestra and you have a, a second orchestra, but you know, obviously there are going to be times when people have to move on or they decide to move on. And how do you keep the, the talent pool full? We hold auditions in May and June, and we certainly will this year. And if you go to our website at philadelphiasymphonia.com, there's a whole page about auditions. And we welcome any instrumentalist to audition, any orchestral instrumentalist to audition. And we even feel that if somebody's not quite ready, or they feel they're not quite ready, we still encourage them to audition to get the experience of taking an audition. We will give students feedback during an audition, or if we feel like maybe they're a little nervous, and if we just can sort of help them get over that hump of nerves, that they might really blossom. And that's happened can't tell you how many times and some of those players have actually become some of our strongest players you know they just needed that little bit of help we have auditions in may and early june and then we have auditions in september before the season starts and we have a very active community of private teachers who send their students to us who just know about us through our reputation that we've earned over the years my colleague danielle And I both do a lot of the district, regional, state festivals in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey. Okay. So that's a lot of fun for us. And the students will often ask us when they find out, you know, that we're conductors of Philadelphia Symphonia, can we audition? So we do a lot of recruiting that way as well. Oh, that's great. A lot of word of mouth. Right. And I think, you know, through all of that, students find their way. And... It's tough because the students are gradually getting busier and busier through the whole 25 years that Symphonia has been in existence. But they find a way, and we help them to to juggle their schedule. I'm sure the the boys' choir and girls' choir have the exact same issues. Yeah, there's always always activities, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So recently, this just came up in the news, so by the time this airs, it might not be so recent, but... There's a car company that launched a commercial that lampooned the quality of students' organized music. I think it was an orchestra. So what's your response to people who have this bias against the quality of students' musical performances? Do you want to clap back at them, or how how do you handle that kind of... Well, actually, it's funny you should mention that. A colleague of mine sent me an email showing me a link where a youth orchestra actually did respond by performing the also Sprach Zarathustra that this car company was making fun of mm-hmm. and making the point that children can play well and can play in tune. Honestly, it to me, it's a funny commercial. It's a cute commercial. I do think that when you start on an instrument, you have to go through that phase where you're not aware of what's going on around you. You don't know how to play in tune. You don't know all the fingerings. And yeah, you're going to sound not so great. Right. And I think it's important that, like in anything, we allow our children to develop and grow in a healthy and supportive way. So maybe that advertisement is a little nasty because it's poking fun. But I think that the reality is that most of the time when children are playing music like that, everyone tries to be supportive and that helps them to move to the next level mm-hmm. rather than discourage them. So 
Excellent. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that because you got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No one can pick up an instrument. No one can start singing and be perfect the first time. You know, it's just not going to happen. So by the time this airs, you'll have had the concert to celebrate Philadelphia Symphonia's 25th anniversary. You bring in several guest musicians, including the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs. What made you decide on these musicians, as well as like AVA alumnus Eric De Lagrange? How have you decided on these musicians? Well, I was thinking about that uh, a couple days ago, and this will be, I think, the third time, if I'm correct, that we've worked with the Philadelphia Boys Choir. The first time was with Dr. Hamilton. Oh, wow. So that was years ago when I first met Robert and Jeff. Jeff was playing piano, and we did some sort of Christmas concert at Penn in Irvine Auditorium. And I honestly don't remember how that connection happened, but it went really, really well. We had a great time working together and we didn't work together again for several years just because it takes a lot of planning to put together a choir and orchestra, especially for a young choir. You've got to have the right piece and it's got to fit programmatically. So the next time we worked together was an absolutely amazing project that we did with Jeff and the boys, and that was a concert version that was created of Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel, and it was just spectacular. And we did that at the Temple Performing Arts Center. We actually kept the choir hidden. We didn't, so they were up in a balcony, in the back with the lights off the entire time because they don't sing until the very end of the opera. And we didn't want anybody to know that we had a whole choir back there. So when the witch is killed and then the children come to life, all of a sudden we bring the lights up. And there's the Philadelphia Boys Choir in these, you know, gorgeous red blazers, you know, and it was just, it was visually really pretty amazing. And of course they sounded incredible. So that was the second time that we worked with them. And then I've just been trying to look for other opportunities. And I certainly knew about Haydn's The Creation, Mm -hmm. but never thought that I'd exactly have the right opportunity to program it. Of course, the whole piece is too long to program. And I was thinking, well, how could I program just parts of it or whatever? And I called Jeff up and said, would the choir be interested in doing this? And he was like, yes, we would be interested in doing it. And he encouraged me to do all of part one, which is what we're doing. I was thinking, oh, maybe we'll do, we'll cut it down a little bit. And he said, no, he said, your audience is used to a full performance and your orchestra members expect that. Do the whole thing and we'll provide the choruses. And I was overjoyed. I, I just was so thrilled that he was willing to take this on, he and Nathan, because uh, we're obviously we're using the girls' choir as well. Right. Yeah. So that's sort of how it happened. We've had a nice history, and this is just a continuation of that history. And have you previously worked with the girls' choir, or is this your first time? Yes, this was now seven years ago. And, of course, we, we talked a lot about the boys because we wanted a certain quality of voice sure. you know, for the children. Right. That would have been the first time that I worked with the girls' choir. I think what we did with Dr. Hamilton, that was just the boys' choir. Right, that predates the girls' the choir. Girls. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so that 
piece that you just talked about, Hansel and Gretel, will have a sample in this very episode that our audience can hear. Nice. Very nice. I think they'll really enjoy it. Excellent. As much as Maestro White has been talking about this piece, Hansel and Gretel, we just had to share it with you. Remember, the voices you hear are from the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choir. But, even more, the music is played by young performers, no older than 23. Listen up! We're glad to make beautiful music and memories with Philadelphia Symphonia. Let's hear more of what Maestro Gary White has to say. As far as COVID, you know, obviously that, that impacts every organization and every musical organization. I expect it deeply impacted you and uh, Philadelphia Symphonia. Can you tell us what COVID did for Philadelphia Symphonia and how have you overcome? Well, it's been a challenge. When COVID first hit, we had to suspend in-person rehearsals, as everyone did. And I would say for a year and a half, we did online. And what we did was we created several videos where everybody submitted an individual video, and then we had a sound engineer put them all together. Mm -hmm. And we did that for short overtures that were five minutes or so. And not great in terms of how to teach orchestral skills because of course nobody can hear anybody else and we're not in the same room creating that community and that culture sure but not a complete waste of time either i have to say that it gave us an opportunity to go in depth with theory with really taking a piece apart in terms of its structure bringing guests from all over the world in to talk to the kids through Zoom sessions. All of this happened through Zoom as we moved online. We have an alum who is a very popular violinist in Korea, and he did a whole Zoom session on being an entrepreneurial musician. We had Philadelphia Orchestra members coming in every week. If we had an hour and a half Zoom session, they might do a half an hour on how to take auditions, orchestral excerpts. I mean, it really opened the doors to some very creative programming that educationally was good for the students. Now, I will tell you though, the first time that we got together to play as a group again, I mean, everybody was just like beaming and was so happy to be together in one room. Mm. Music gives you a real sensation. There's just a vibration that buzzes through the orchestra when we're all playing together in tune and you know at a, at a high level and i know you feel it in a choir as well i've experienced that and of course you don't you can't get that through zoom i would say that we learned a lot about how to use technical things like zoom and as a result we've made them part of our program in a couple of weeks our junior orchestra 
will be having a Zoom session with the composer who arranged several pieces that they're going to be playing. And we wouldn't have that opportunity to talk to the composer if it weren't through Zoom. And so we're making that part of the rehearsal. And yeah, so things like that have happened that have actually been positive in a good way. And where is that composer? That composer is, oh, he's in the South. His name is Dr. Robert Harris, and he did talk to our students before through Zoom when we did one of his pieces, and now we're doing several, and he's coming back to talk further about those pieces. I don't know that with COVID, he would have been willing to travel up here. Right. I know he wanted to. Ideally, he would have, but with COVID, it's not safe. So this is perfect. Yeah. Might not be safe. So that's an opportunity. And I think that the whole coming out of the Zoom sessions has given our students an appreciation for just being able to relax and enjoy the music in a way that maybe they didn't appreciate before because we're also busy running around trying to keep up with our schedules and then when everything shut down and everybody was isolated i think it gave us some time to reflect on how crazy our lives can get and i certainly hope we can hold on to a little bit of that yeah yeah for sure so you have a three-part mission statement with philadelphia symphonia the first is to provide an ensemble performance opportunities for young musicians obviously your website tells us about the number of concerts you have over the course of the year And this is what I'm going to ask you. What are some of the highlight concerts that you've had? Well, I would definitely say the Hansel and Gretel. That concert, I can listen to that and honestly get choked up by the end. And I'm very fussy. I'm I'm very critical. I'm very self-critical. And I'll listen to a recording and and think many things about, you know, why did I conduct this that way? Why is the tempo this way? But that, that Hansel and Gretel with the boys' choir and girls' choir, I actually sit back and I'm transported. Our then board president, Carol Brown, she's now no longer board president, but on our board, she is big time off her buff. And she said the same thing. She said she can just sit back and listen to that recording and just forget that we're listening to primarily high school and middle school students performing this massive work. Yeah. Here's another snippet from the collaborative efforts between the PBGC and the Philadelphia Symphonia with Hansel and Gretel. Enjoy! As you will hear, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs aren't the only singers in this piece. Alexandra Nowakowski was Gretel. Alexandra Schenk was Hansel. Hannah Ludwig was the mother and the witch. And Hunter Enoch was the father. Enjoy! How beautiful that was. 
We are proud that our organization has left such an indelible memory for Maestro White. And now, let's hear more of what he has to say about Philadelphia Symphonia. So that was definitely one of my favorites. Another one of my favorites is another choral when we did Beethoven 9 with the Mendelssohn Club. That was one that we felt we had to use an adult choir because if you know anything about the choral parts that Beethoven wrote, they're insane. <laughs> they're really brutal. And I'm not so sure it would be too healthy for younger voices. Although I don't know. Maybe the boys' choir has done it. I'm not sure. But we did it with the Mendelssohn Club. And to do Beethoven 9 and then to end with the chorus, it's really pretty spectacular. That sounds incredible, for sure. It kind of reminds me of Dr. Seuss and the tongue-twisting books that he has, just how complicated <laughs> it is to read those out loud. But that's, that's my level of, of reading right now. <laughs> Second aspect of your mission statement is to achieve the highest level of artistic advancement. So how do you guide these almost 200 or about 200 musicians to reach such a zenith? How do you continue to encourage them to improve? We're very supportive but that doesn't mean that we're easy. We really give them the tools to be thinking, independent musicians. And it's up to us to give them good, reliable tools so that they can achieve the best that they can possibly do the time that they're here in Sinfonia. And I think it's really important that we're supportive, we give them the tools, we're encouraging, and we never push down and become discouraging mm -hmm. because I think our students can be very fragile. When you're putting yourself out there as a musician, you're really bearing your soul. Yeah. Especially, let's say, your principal flute and you've got a big solo. Well, if something doesn't go right and either your colleague snicker or a conductor yells at you, that can be a career-ending moment. You can say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel comfortable doing it. Or you, know, or, or you can really become very hard on yourself and just tie yourself up into knots. And I think that that's going back to what my mentors taught me. And we really try and teach our students. If somebody makes a mistake, we don't allow the students to snicker. If I even get wind of that, I'll talk to the orchestra and explain why we need to be supportive and how you might next time be the one playing that solo and right. you're going to want everybody's support, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. I think through our approach, we really create that community sense which helps to really elevate the students. And I've seen it time and time again. I've seen students come in, not the strongest, their auditions maybe are a little weak, but Danielle Garrett and I hear something and we just think, well, okay, I think that it's worth it to have to admit the student, work with them and see where they go. And it really, you know, we just, I'm thinking of just so many students that have just blossomed and it's really incredible. So what are you looking for in a student who's auditioning? What is that je ne sais quoi of uh, art musicianship? I think a student who displays a certain investment and confidence. And it might be at a, just an inkling of that. You know, they might be scared to death and they might be very nervous. But if we can just sense that this is important to them and they have a sense of self that they can come into the program, take it on, and thrive. Mm -hmm. We've learned to be able to, to parse that out. 
And then, of course, you know, there are the standard things that we look for. The students have to be at a certain level. Right. We never want to accept a student who doesn't have the technical ability to play the music that we're playing because that can damage physically and mentally the student. They yeah. can handicap them. Yeah. If that's the case and we get a student who isn't quite ready, we often will communicate with the teacher and say, this is what we think they need. And often the teachers know and they'll say, yes, that's great. That's what we'll work on. And then they come back and, and audition again. Sometimes they audition in May, don't get in. They work all summer and come back and blow us away in, in September. Or, you know, or they don't and they audition the following year, uh, you know, and, and come in that way. We're very careful to guide the students through the audition process. It's very evident that you really care for each student and their, not just their musicianship in this moment or for your Philadelphia Symphonia, but also as their trajectory is through the course of their lives, you know, continuing on, whether they're going to be professional musicians or just music appreciators, just being that impact and being the role model that you are to encourage them. That's really tremendous in, in education and in personal connection. So oh, thank you. Sure. sure. And then the last part of your mission statement is to educate young people broadly to be strong citizens and leaders as well as responsible musicians. You talked a little bit about how you've done some fundraisers for Japan and Ukraine and the collecting of food. We do. We take part in a national food drive which is a yearly event that's very important to us. And typically, it's not at Thanksgiving and it's not at Christmas, the traditional times, it's later. It's typically in March or so. And the great thing is that's when food banks, Phil Abundance is who we particularly work with. That's when I believe they need it because people aren't thinking about making donations at that time of the year. And that was started by the American Symphony League. And we became involved with that as a national program. And we've continued to do it. And it was disrupted, unfortunately, by COVID. But it is something that we will be going back to. Those are sort of specific examples. I think it's fair to say that we also really make an effort to teach our students how to take what they're learning here mm -hmm. and take it back to their schools, take it back to any music activities they're a part of, and in a healthy and productive way, share what they've learned. So we're also trying to create community leaders throughout this area. And I'm sure at some point they're going to share what they learn by not snickering at the lesser musicians that are in their schools or helping them overcome, you know, fears right. that you've helped. Yeah. Musicians. Not everybody wants to be a music major. Not even all of our students do. They just want to play at the highest level they can. But some people don't want to make the commitment. I mean, these students... And this is a big commitment. As, as you know, with the Boys and the Girls card, those, these are major commitments. These are students who are committed to performing music at the highest level. And not everybody wants to do that, and not everybody should. But it's really nice when super advanced students can work with students who maybe aren't taking private lessons and who don't quite have the technical ability and act as inspirations in a positive way for those students. Yeah. So how often do you rehearse? Each group rehearses for two or two and a half hours once a week on Saturdays. Okay. And actually there are three groups. There's Philadelphia Symphonia Players, which is that advanced intermediate group. 
And then there is Philadelphia Symphonia Chamber Orchestra, which is our strings only orchestra. And that orchestra is really cool because it's only about 25 at most. And what we do is those are students drawn from the most advanced orchestra, Philadelphia Symphonia. Mm -hmm. They have the option to join this additional orchestra and play strings only repertoire. There's a huge repertoire for just strings. Okay. Then the other part of that is I invite students from the advanced intermediate orchestra who I know will be able to handle the music and grow and then potentially uh, audition for our advanced group. And I invite them to join the chamber orchestra. So if we have 25 students, maybe six of them will mm -hmm. be uh, from what we call PSP, Philadelphia Symphonia Players. And the goal is that the older students actively mentor them. Yeah. And they're seated next to each other and they're constantly exchanging ideas and working together. And that's been very successful. And that happened just gradually. It just sort of developed and then we sort of codified the idea and made it formal. It just sort of happened once one year that I asked a couple of the younger students to come and try the orchestra and it was so successful we thought, okay, we've got something here. That's excellent. What is your vision for the future of Philadelphia Symphonia? Wow. Not to get too heavy, but I think now more than ever, music and community, community through music, is super, super important. We have to get back to some kind of normal, stable environment. And so I want to keep Philadelphia Symphonia going, going strong, involving as many students as we can get and providing them with that stability that I think coming out of COVID we all long yeah. for. Yeah. So that's sort of, you know, very much a, a current goal. I don't feel comfortable revealing quite everything that I'm thinking, but I would say to you that we do have some very exciting plans that we will be revealing soon and I hope your listeners will check out our website and check out our concerts and you'll see some of our expansion go into effect. Excellent and can you please again tell us what that website is? It's www.philadelphiasymphonia.com and symphonia is S-I-N-F-O-N-I-A. That is yes the correct spelling. <laughs> there are many different ways to spell it but that's it. That's it. All right. Well, Gary White, music director and conductor of Philadelphia Symphonia, I want to say thank you so much for being here on Behind the Blazer. It's a pleasure to meet with you and meet you and also hear so much of the awesome things you're doing with Philadelphia Symphonia. Well, Scott, thank you. This has been a real pleasure. A real pleasure. All right. This episode of Behind the Blazer Season 2 features the vocal talents of Asa Johnson, Abner Murillo, Liam Newkirk, Josiah Jonakin, Arnab Chowdhury, Sartok Chowdhury, Alex Styrius, Mark Hauk, Christopher Sempier, Jonah Serrata, and Boo Long. Thanks to all who have participated in the creation of this episode.
Behind the Blazer is the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review. Support our organization, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs, by donating at pbgcsings.org slash donate. Again, that's pbgcsings.org slash donate. <laughs>